he said. Amen. Amen. We are talking about working through it. We're going to consider Christ today. That's what this is all about, considering Christ, working through it. Our series uh, is that we've got two natures, an old man, a new man, spirit man, flesh man, and we are trying to work that out. We want to work out that uh, duality on the inside of us to be conformed into our Father's image over and over again and to be and walk in this Spirit-filled life. How do we walk this Spirit-filled life? How do we be the Christians God's called us to be, to live a life in the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, being in the Spirit? So one of these uh, elements of doing that is having an attitude of servitude. That's what we're talking about today, the attitude of servitude. Uh, has anyone ever told you, uh, I love you, but I don't like you right now. Nobody raise your hands because that might be happening right now. But I love you, but I don't really like you in this moment, right? We have that. Uh, if you're married, you've probably done that, said that, thought that, maybe today. Uh, I love you, but I don't like you right now. You know, we all, we all uh, disagree. We are imperfect people. We are not perfectly united in one mind uh, yet in Christ. And so, uh, I love you, but I don't like you right now. So, when you're in an argument with your spouse, maybe it's a coworker, a uh, family member, a friend, how do you work through that argument? How do you work through that difference? And what is your attitude if you win? And some of you are like, yeah, Check, man. You know, I got one. One out of ten years is not too bad. You know, uh, I win. You know, I, how was your argument when you win? Do you gloat? Do you just kind of just shrug it off? Do you keep a secret notebook of winning every argument? I don't know. But how do you, how, what's your attitude when you win? And then what's your attitude uh, when you lose? Even in, you know, sports, you know, you can have, be a sore loser if we lose. Uh, but how do you work through that argument? And what's your attitude if you win? And what's your attitude if you lose. You know, arguments or disagreements can either uh, make or break it. They can strengthen a relationship. You can have argument with like a friend from high school. You've been friends for years, but those arguments over the years have made you stronger. I've got some people I am expert in arguments with, and we are the strongest people for it because we've worked through it, and I can tell this person anything. Now, I have a great friend. He's a pastor now, and man, we have, we have, we are professional arguers, you know, and uh, we're just good at it, but we are the tightest friends. We talk every day. And then there are people that you've argued with or disagreed with at work or something, and y'all don't even talk to each other. Y'all work together in the same office y'all hadn't spoken in five years because of some argument five years ago over the donuts in the break room or something. You know, like there are things that can make or break it because it's how you argue and your attitude as you go through it. You know, your attitude is a settled way of thinking. It's how you feel about something or someone. What's your attitude? Uh, when uh, Ari was little, she had a little attitude issue. It didn't come from this side of the family. I don't know. I'm just saying. Uh, not really. <laughs> uh, probably did, actually. So, and we'd always say, check the tude. You know, like, watch your attitude. Check the tude. And so that was a little thing that we used to say when she was a toddler. But you've got to, you have an attitude. We all have an attitude about everything. Everybody's got an opinion. Uh, but we all have an attitude about sports or life or this or what the weather is like. We all have an opinion. It's a subtle way of thinking or thinking about or feeling about someone or something. And it reflects in your behavior. Your attitude is your point of view. It's your frame of mind. It's your stance on a someone or something. And it comes from really two words you can kind of think on today is uh, position and posture. Position and posture. Watch your position on a topic and watch your posture on it. What's your position on it, and what's your posture on it? 
we work through these things, all these differences. It has a lot to do with our position and our posture. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. For instance, we all come from different positions. Uh, we all come different frame of references, points of view. In life, you're coming at a position of way you look at something, how you grew up in marriage. Husbands and wives can see things completely different. We can look at the same thing. We're talking about the same thing, and we're still seeing it completely different. Y'all have no clue what I'm talking about. Y'all, some of y'all have been married. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying? We're saying the same thing. It's just not computing because it's different on the inside. Amen. All the husbands. Yes. Amen. Okay. All right. In the workplace, you can have a variety, variety of positions or viewpoints. But then there's posture. We can take different postures. Our posture is reflected in how we think of that person. For instance, if you feel your position is right, do you know your posture can still be wrong? Your position may be right, but how you stand on that position, your posture, it can be wrong. I can say the right thing the wrong way. How many know that's true? I can say and do the right thing. I can believe the right thing and still act the wrong way. That's my posture. My posture can be sometimes wrong. If I'm impatient, if I feel hurt, if I get emotional working through differences, I might lose respect for that person. Then I start seeing that person as a problem. I start seeing that thing, I've got to win over that thing. Even my spouse, I've got to win this argument. And we sometimes say things, do things, things we don't mean. We have feelings, we have emotions, and all that stuff comes out. And I may even be right occasionally. But my position may be right, but my posture can be wrong. Position and posture. So if we want to go through today, I want you to ask yourself, whether it be in your work, your family, your marriage, your friends, your relatives, or people even in this room right here, is that when we end this day, I want to say at the end of it, how can I serve this person like Jesus is serving them? How can I have the position and posture of Christ? All right, look with me in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. Let me give you the background. Paul is telling his Philippian church, he says, guys, you're going to face external problems in the world. Their, their position is going to be against you. He says, there have been deceivers going out. There are people who are going to hate you. They're going to persecute you. And there's, there's a work to be done in going out in the gospel. And Paul's writing from prison, by the way. He says, but all these people are against me, and they're going to be against you, and you have external opposition, and you're trying to work out this stuff. But guess what? God's going to handle that stuff. God's going, no one is going to stop the gospel. God's going to work that out. God is going to work out this gospel mission. As you are persecuted and you're trying to work out your salvation, God's going to work with you and work on that. But on the inside of the church, there's something that you have to work out in this body of believers, in these Christian marriages, in Christian homes, in this Christian church. There's something we have to work out. And Paul prays over them. He says, I pray you be of the same mind, intent on the same purpose, and uh, in the oneness of Christ. Because in this church, specifically, that Paul had planted, he planted this church uh, with a woman named Lydia at a women's small group Bible meeting. It's in the book of Acts. Check it out. Paul goes, and he goes by the river. He sees this woman, Lydia, and it's a women's small group, and him and Timothy and Silas, this band of guys, they plant this church with some women. 
And these women grow, and it becomes a normal Jewish church or a Christian church uh, in uh, Philippi. And there in Philippi, Paul has now left, and he's going to write back as he's in prison. And he's writing back because he hears that two of these women leaders, these church leaders who are women, and Paul will use the word deacon or servant, okay? Some people say they're deaconesses. These two ladies, he lists their names at the end of the book, have divided, or they've separated, or they've, they're pulling, the, literally in the Greek it says they're pulling the church in different directions, okay? And so Paul is writing because he knows this is one of his most favorite churches. Their works are great. They are a giving church. They are a blessed church. It's a phenomenal church. But there's arguments. There's divisions in every healthy family. There's divisions in every healthy church. There can be contentions and divisions. And Paul's writing, he says, God's going to work out all the opposition and the differences out there. But I want you to work out your salvation with two words, fear and anybody know? trembling. Fear and trembling. There's some responsibility that you and I have to work out our salvation. Work out, remember I said it matters your attitude and how you work it out. You've got to work, we as a family, whether individually in units or in a corporate family, have to always be working out our salvation with our attitude of fear and trembling. He's telling them, I want you to have the position in the posture of Christ. What's your attitude? It's the position and posture. I want you to have the attitude, the position and posture. Work all that stuff out, and it's joyful to do it. So Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. If you're there, somebody say amen. All right, here it goes. Therefore, therefore, I'll give you the therefore while we're here. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, how many know it's encouraging to be in Christ? If there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any affection and compassion, make my joy complete, being of the same mind. Somebody say same. Same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on how many purposes? One purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude. There it is. There's the word for today. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus. Through, although he existed in the form of God, did not require equality with God, the thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself. He took the form of a bondservant or slave, and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You know, we all have to work at getting good at something, whether you're a ball player or a dancer or you're a teacher or a nurse. You can become it, but for the rest of your life, you're probably going to be working at getting better at it. And that same is true for the Christian life. You may be a Christian. You're saved by grace. You don't have to worry. God's got you. You're secure in Him. But you need to be continually working on being better like Him. He want, you want to work on the inside. God's going to work on the outside, the big stuff. He's got the world in His hand. You know that little song? He's got it. He's going to do it. We're going to win. This thing's going to finish. Jesus is going to come. It's going to be over. That's His job. My job is to work out right here my salvation with fear and trembling, and, and I want to be united together with you and with Him and intent on one purpose. That's all of us, our one purpose, to become like Him. That's where we're going, that's where we're headed, and we're all going to go the same direction. We may have little spats on the way there, but our goal is one thing, be like Jesus, get to Jesus. And so, he says, hey, let's come together now for a second. 
We all got to work at something. And this work is a spiritual work that you don't do. The natural way, if I want to be a better teacher or nurse, I need to go do external things to get better at that. I'm going to learn more, do more, help more, be more, uh, educate more. But in the spiritual life, it's different. God is the one who does the work. I just surrender to His work in me. Where I would put a lot of effort in to be a better oil field worker or teacher or pastor, you know, in the external sense, to be a Christian, it's really His work that I allow to happen. Here's what he's kind of saying. He's saying, have this attitude. The Greek word there uh, means to set your mind on what someone else sets their mind on. He says, have this attitude. Set your mind on what Jesus set His mind on. Attitude. Set your mind on what Jesus set His mind on. Put your position and your posture on what Jesus put His position and posture on. And what He can begins to explain it. So here's what He says. He says, He had a nature, a morph, like, you know, like the idea, the, the, what He became. He had the nature of God but he took on the nature of a servant. He says he emptied himself, and that Greek word means loss of power. He had all the power in the universe, but he emptied himself of all the power. He could. Remember the Bible says you could have called 10,000 angels. He emptied himself of power. He had all the power. He emptied himself of power, became a baby in a manger. Let nobody recognize him. He could have done all kinds of things. Every Pharisee or person who slapped him in the face, he could have went, you know, zap. You know, thunder, lightning, bolt. He could have done all of it, but he emptied himself. He took slaps in the face, spits in the face, crowns of thorns, beaten, mocked as a, a false king. He emptied himself. Man, that'd be hard to do, wouldn't it? Emptied himself. And then it says he humbled himself. That was the power was the emptied word in the Greek, but the emptied of humility means loss of position. He left his abode of tabernacling in the presence of Almighty God, the right of the Father, the Logos, the Word of God, became flesh, and He tabernacled, and He took His position. And Paul says it wasn't just a normal position. It was the position of a slave of all men. Remember what Jesus said? The Son of Man didn't come to serve, I mean to be served, but to serve, and to give His life as a ransom for many. And then remember when the night before he was betrayed, whose feet he washed? He washed even Judas's feet, and he took a towel. And John says he laid aside this, his robe. And it's the same word John used in the first chapter when Jesus laid aside his divine privileges. He laid aside this radiant royal rim of, of garment of glory. And he took this place, and he humbled himself, and he set it all aside, and he knelt down in the dirty dirt, and he wrote things in the dirt and looked and pardoned women who were accused in adultery and said, go and sin. No, I mean, Jesus touched leprosy and he walked with men who were his tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes. Come on. I mean, listen, this is, churchiness is one thing, but Jesus demonstrated something. He emptied himself of power and position. And he says, have this attitude in you. Watch the tube. Have this attitude in you. You want to have the same mind? Have this. You want to be, you're, we're all people. And if we start focusing on us, we'll be divided. If we start focusing on him, we'll be united. He says, have this attitude. Take his position and his posture. What was that? The first thing, let me tell you, how do you, how do, you do this? I'll give you three words, rest, righteousness, and reward. Or another three words, the same, would be position, posture, and prize. So the first one is rest or position. Philippians 2.13 
For it is God who is at work, or the energy in you, both to will and to work, or energy, for His good pleasure. What's he saying? Okay, so this is the rest position. Pastor Heath, how do I do this? you got a marriage. How do I take this attitude, the position and posture of Christ? I've got our church. How do I take the position and posture? I've got a very cantankerous employee that I work with. It is almost impossible to please this person. How do you take the position and the posture of Christ with that person? You've got in-laws that you can't only see but one time at Christmas because that's as much of them as you can take. How do you take the position? I know where we live. Come on. Position and posture of Christ with these people. First part is rest. Rest. Your position is rest. He says, God is the one working, has the Holy Spirit. The Greek word there is energy. He is the one energizing you. He is the one inside of you. You're not doing this, but God is. So the position that you should have, number one, is rest. He says, if there's any good things in Christ. How many know there's good things in Christ? He says there's an if-then clause. With self-works, it's something you would do. If you do this, you'll get better at this. If you don't do this, you won't get better. But he says this is something that not you're doing, but something if-then Christ is doing. If Christ is working in you, rest from your self-works. He says if there's any consolation in Christ, if there's any uh, uniting in spirit with Christ, fellowship of the Spirit, if there's any love or consolation in Christ... If there is, how many know there is? He's not a rhetorical, it's a rhetorical question. He knows there is. He says, if it's good to be in Jesus, rest in Jesus. If it's good to be in Jesus, just receive from Jesus. If there is love in Jesus, have love in Jesus. Because sometimes we're loving people with our own love. What work I have. What strength. The only patience I got to give you today is the patience I work up with and how my coffee gave me. That's a whole different kind of thing, right? That's you. That's me. I've been tired. I'm weak. My kids have been yelling. We've been fighting all week. And guess what? The patience that Heath Harris can stir up in that moment might be limited. He says, but if there's something in Christ, be intent on Him. If there's something that is good in God, then give up what you're trying to do on your own and gain it from Him. There's a rest. Are you with me this morning? There's something that you don't work out uh, yourself by gaining, but you gain it by His work. When Christ worked on the cross, He gained all of heaven for you. He gained all that the Holy Spirit could ever give you was gained in one moment. And it was given liberally to the church and so that you can rest from trying to be a better person. You can't be a better person. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. There, and, and, I, and I try, and we work, and we labor, and guess what? I get tired. I get worn out. I get weak. I get weary. But he says, rest. Remember what Jesus said? Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Now learn from trying harder. Learn from me. I'm gentle, humble in heart. You will find what? Rest for your souls. My yoke is easy, and my burden is light. You know, it's hard work trying to live on top. It's hard work striving to be right, striving to be better, striving to have the right knowledge, the right relationship. It's trying to fight for first place in your marriage, first place in your family. Uh, it's a hard posture, always trying to be the best husband, mom, teenager, man and woman of God. But what if you gave up and said, God, I know I can never get there. I totally surrender to receive it, your work in me. See, this kingdom is upside down. Sometimes we're try, 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 and you're only going to wear out more. But when you totally give up and say, Jesus, I am totally dependent on your work. I am totally dependent on you to give me peace, you to give me love, 
you to give me joy because I believe your work paid the price for me to have it. That's faith, and that's rest. That's your first position. He says, the steadfast of mine, Isaiah 26, the steadfast of mine you will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you. See, there's a rest in releasing control. There's a satisfaction in giving up self when you set your mind on Christ. Paul says, renew your mind. Set your mind on Christ. Have this attitude in you. He was a slave and a servant of all. Paul even says when he opened this word, he says, I am a slave. I'm a slave of Christ. And whatever he later says, whatever I had gained, I count it as loss for the sake of just knowing him. Because Paul said, I can rest in prison knowing he's working this out for me. Rest. Number two is righteousness or posture. Righteousness or posture. If we rest in taking the position, I'm, my position is now in Christ. My life is hidden in Christ. My, my life is in His work, not my work, His work, Him working in me. That's my position. My posture then can follow. Uh, James chapter 3, verse 14. Here's what he says. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't be arrogant and so lie to the truth. This is not wisdom uh, that comes down from above. That's wisdom that's earthly and natural and even demonic. Where there's jealousy and selfish ambition exists, there's disorder and every kind of evil thing. But the wisdom from above, somebody say above, that's not from you, that's from him, is first pure, then peaceable, then gentle, then reasonable, full of mercy, good fruit, unwavering, without hypocrisy. Verse 18, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What are you saying? James is saying just the same thing as Paul when we start doing things our own way from our own mind and we set our mind on what is he said, she said? What is my position versus their position? What is my posture versus, let's, let, what attitude are we having? I'm going to win, I'm going to lose. So all the differences we could focus on. And we stop focusing on Jesus, we stop focusing on people or self, we lose. He said that wisdom is even demonic. It divides all kinds of things in families and churches and, and, and workplaces. It all goes crazy. That position goes wrong. But when you have this peace and righteousness that comes from above, he says, when that righteousness is sown in you from Christ, it makes peace. Now, he's not talking about the world. The world is going to hate you. But in the church, there should be peace. Let me say amen. amen. There should be peace. Now, okay, so what is righteousness? Righteousness is right standing. That's what it really means. Right standing. When Christ died for you, he took off his, this metaphorically, robe of righteousness, his outer garment. He comes over to you, and you're all messed up inside and out, and he wraps his righteousness on you, and it gives you right standing with God, that you can go before the throne of grace to find help in time of need, that when God looks at you, all he sees is the right standing of his son, his purity, his glory, his right standing, his sonship, and God gave that right standing with you. And he looks at you, you're my son, in whom I'm well pleased. Just the same thing he said to his own son. You have right standing, righteousness of God. It's imputed to you. It's not something you earned. It's something that was freely given by grace through faith. It was just paid for, and you simply receive it like Abraham, just by believing, because you're a friend of God. Okay? That's right standing. But he says this, if I have right standing with God in Christ, how can I not have right standing with my brothers and sisters? How can we have so many denominations? You know, I was saying the other day, Jesus pastors an interdenominational church. I'm so blessed to pastor an interdenominational church like we have because he pastors all denominations. 
He walks with them and talks with them. He loves them. And in the same, there's a one church, one body, one mind, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And Paul says, be intent to be like him. Have the same posture and position. What's that position? He says, you became right with God, so become right with others. Colossians 3.12, this is kind of his parallel. He says, Paul says, for those who have been chosen of God, holy beloved, put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. Bear with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint, just as the Lord forgave you, you should forgive other people. You want to be forgiven? You've got to forgive. That's the command. Jesus says it. You want to be forgiven? There's got to be oneness in the body. How does that look in the, in the marriage life? Okay, so, Pastor, I get it, all right, understand it theologically, but how do I work this out? Well, let's just go to the marriage in the home. Okay, I can talk about church stuff all day. Paul says in Ephesians, he says, there's two words that demonstrate in the marriage. It's love and respect. In that moment, we could be arguing as a spouse, and we represent the church as a united married couple, right? And he's like, we can be divided by setting our interest on our own self, but not setting our interest on God. Our focus on Him, to be like Him, His position, His posture. His position was with God, and He was right. But He left that position, His rightness, to come show us His posture. When we were yet sinners, He came and He died. He had a right position. We were wrong. We were wrong in the argument. How many know we were wrong? We were wrong. He was right. But to show us His rightness, He lowered Himself below us to demonstrate his rightness a different way by taking a posture of a slave he won you over to his love he could have just come and said y'all I'm right you're wrong I said it that settles it get in the car we're going I mean you know what I mean he, he could have just this is how it's going to be and that's it and you better get on board this is the train we're leaving but he didn't take the wrong posture he took a posture to win us over with love. And how am I doing that to my wife? How are you doing it to your spouse? How are I doing it to our people in our church and the people in the world? You may be right, but your posture could be wrong. And he took the posture of a slave. So when we're arguing in, a, in Ephesians, it says, Husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church. Wives, Honor or respect or serve your husbands as the church serves Christ. It's a great book, Love and Respect. Check it out sometime. But what it means is, as I want to argue, I want to be right. I want to tell my position, and my posture might be defensive. Yeah, I win. You know, this is how it's going to be, right? You, can, you get that way. But in that moment, I can need to take the position of Christ. It doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. How am I loving my wife like Christ loves my wife? Wives, the other way. You most likely are probably right. I'll just be honest, okay? I know it's Father's Day, but you're probably right. <laughs> you're probably right. But how are you serving and ministering to your husband as Christ is ministering to him? I want to look at that person, whoever they are, and say, God, how am I loving them like you're loving them? They may be angry, they may be upset, they may be totally wrong, but God, how am I ministering to them in my right position with the right posture? Is my posture your posture? How do I win them over with love? How do I win them over 
with service. How does this work out in your life? Because you're confident that your position is in Christ, you win them over with your posture like Christ. So here's the question. Do you have an attitude of a servant? Is your attitude servitude? And will you ask, Jesus, how are you ministering to this person? And lastly is your reward or your prize. It's kind of hard to, you know, lose an argument if you know you're not going to get anything out of it, right? You're like, ah, I'm just going to lose again. You know, here we go. Uh, we can try to win now. You can try to rule and reign here. You can try to gain. You can try to get. And all the while have the wrong motives. It's a selfish desire to win. It's all about you for your own glory. And Paul is writing this book. And he's found contentment, he says, in suffering and selflessness for Christ. He finds there's a secret strength that I am weak, but he's strong. And everything is made perfect in my weakness. And I find I really gain. He says in the middle of this, writing in prison to this church, he says, therefore I say rejoice. Again, I say rejoice. How in the world are you rejoicing in prison? Paul, you're losing. It's not going well for you. It could be awful for you. You're there with the rats in the dungeon. You don't even know if you're going to be beheaded in a few days. And he says, but guys, everything I'm losing, I'm really gaining. There's something to be gained. There is a reward in his righteousness. I'm resting in his righteousness knowing I have a reward. I have a position that is in Christ. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. He is my father. That is my position. But my posture is that I will suffer with him, even to, in the fellowship of his suffering, if by any means I might gain him in the powers of his resurrection. I just want to be him and know him. He is my reward. He is my prize. My prize is being like him. And he says this, he says, if uh, set your mind, Colossians, on the things that are above, not on the things that are on the earth, for you have died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you will be revealed with him in glory. Somebody say glory. glory. Okay, you don't even know what that is. What's glory? Glory is the radiance and the splendor of God's divine being. It is the tangible, uh, effective presence that it shines like light from God. And uh, there's, I won't go into it, but Isaiah says, you'll shine like the stars in the sky. That the saints of God will radiate with God's own radiation. It will beam from you. That He says, your life who is hidden in Christ, it will be revealed and you will go from glory to glory. There will be some union with God you've never even begun to comprehend. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. It hasn't entered it even to your heart what God has prepared for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. There's something God has for you that's more than streets of gold. There's more than God, there's more things that God has for you than some crystal sea. There's something about being in God who you've made to be that when you get up there, there will be a gasp of, oh my gosh, I can't believe it's this good to be in God. I don't know, but He is my reward. I'm not going to heaven for pearly gates. I'm not going to heaven for streets of gold. I'm not going to heaven to see grandmas and grandpas who I love and are waiting there for me. I'm going up to heaven to gain Jesus. He's my reward. He's my reward. 
Ephesians says, I pray, Paul says over his other churches, I pray, guys, your heart would be enlightened. You would know what the hope of his calling, what's the riches, somebody say riches, riches of his glory, riches of his glory, his inheritance in the saints. I'm looking at some rich people. How many people are rich? Yeah. Maybe not in the earthly sense. But man, I'm rich in the heavenly sense. You are the riches of God in Christ. You're His reward. You're His inheritance. This whole story, universal history, is summed up in you being with Him. That's where all this is going. And we can set our minds on denominations, on pews, on chairs, on temperature, on he said, she said, I didn't get to the coffee before she did. I don't know. You can set your mind on all kinds of offenses, all kinds of differences. But if you set your mind on Jesus, you'll gain him. Man, you set your mind on him. Put your focus, laser beam on Jesus and take the position and the posture he had and you'll gain more reward than you could ever get by being right. By winning an argument. By getting over on somebody else. Man, I want my position and posture just to be Jesus. Would you bow your heads and your hearts with me this morning? Father, all we want is you. Jesus. Just like Paul is saying to this church who's struggling like we all do, just focus on Jesus. Have this attitude in yourself, which was also in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself and humbled himself. Though his position was right, his posture became servant of all. Father, we know you're working out so many things in this world, but Lord, we want to work out that salvation on the inside of us with fear and trembling, with reverence and awe, with holiness, because of what you've done for us. We want to be more like you, Jesus. Lord, over every marriage, over every church issue, every work issue, maybe it's family issues, God, help us to take the posture of Jesus. Help us to win over people by love, win over people by being selfless. Help us to minister to our spouse like you're ministering to them, Lord, and, and, and to people in our families. And ask ourselves the question, Father, how can I minister to this person? How can I serve this person? How can I love this person like you're serving them, like you're ministering to them, like you're, maybe they need a word. Lord, in the middle of an argument, maybe they need a hug. Maybe they need to know that you, you love them. Maybe that person was going through a, a horrible season. Maybe they just need validation that, God, that you are listening, that you care, that you love them. Father, help me to be the ambassador to show the world the position and posture of, of, of a God who so loved this world, he sent his only son to die. Help us as a church not to lose our testimony to a lost and dying world because we want to be right on some issue. Lord, I want, I, don't, I want to be right, but Lord, I want to have the posture of Jesus.